Returning again this morning to First Timothy, Paul's uh, first epistle to Timothy, and uh, we're in the first chapter, and we've been working our way from the first verse in this lovely epistle, and we're going to read from verse 12, First Timothy in chapter 1. Reading from verse 12, and we read these words. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. And these are the verses I want us to pay particular attention to this morning. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that he might be taught not to blaspheme. (coughs) They might be taught not to blaspheme. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word. I think the first thing I want to mention this morning is that this letter that Paul writes to Timothy was written to a young man. It was written to a young person. And I think that's important for us to note sometimes, and particularly for you younger folk here today. This letter was written to a young man. He was a young man who had the same challenges, the same difficulties, the same desires, the same hopes, the same dreams as young people have. And Paul is writing to him and giving him advice, not just from himself, but from God himself, because As we've mentioned so many times, and Paul mentions to Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for training, uh, correcting and training in righteousness. And so this is not just a letter from Paul to Timothy. It's a letter from Jesus Christ to all of us. And in a sense, particularly to young people. Now, Paul is writing here. Uh, to Timothy, he's a pastor, as we've noted already, of the Ephesian church. And uh, we've noted already certain 
difficulties that had been developing within this fellowship, this church in Ephesus. And so he's writing to this pastor in order to manage these difficulties. Paul writes to the Ephesian church itself two years earlier. And when he does so, he commended them. It was a letter full of love, full of um, expectation. Um, uh, it was a very optimistic letter that he writes to the Ephesian church. In chapter 1 there, verse 3, we read, I thank my God, he says, every time I remember you in all my prayers. He's writing to the Ephesians here. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That was just a few verses at the beginning that it's the same all the way through this letter he, uh, to the Ephesians two years, possibly three years earlier. He's writing an optimistic letter. He's saying that every time he thinks of them, it fills him with joy as he, as he thinks about their fellowship, as he thinks about their progress, as he thinks about all that is happening there and how he's praying that that will continue, and they will be blameless for the day of Christ, they'll be filled with fruit, fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ. They're going to glorify God. That was his great desire and prayer. But now this two, maybe three years later, we find that the church is in difficulty. The church is filled with certain false teachers who are peddling myths and genealogies, Jewish genealogies, and they're making up all kinds of stories in relation to those genealogies. And the other thing that we noted last time was that they had a misunderstanding of the law of God. They didn't understand why God had put the law in place. They thought that he put it in place for them to keep it, and by keeping it, they could get to heaven, the Ten Commandments. They thought, we can keep the Ten Commandments, and if we do, we're going to get to heaven, just like a lot of people today but Paul makes clear that that isn't what the law was for it wasn't to make us feel good to make us feel that we can get to heaven by our own work it was meant to show what we are like meant to show that we're sinners in need of a savior in need of Christ in need of his righteousness in need of, need of his forgiveness and so Paul as he writes to the uh, church now writes to Timothy he exposes the te this teaching of the false teachers they were teaching works they were saying you can get to heaven by your good deeds if you do this and if you do that if you keep the ten commandments and you do what God wants you to do you'll get to heaven by being good Paul said that isn't what the gospel is all about the gospel shows you that you can't get to heaven by your own good deeds. It shows you that you need Jesus Christ as Saviour. It shows you that he is the only way to heaven. But these false teachers, they were teaching and promoting these ideas, myths, 
genealogies, stories, the ideas that you could make yourself good enough and be good enough. And they may have gathered a, a congregation that was quite a, a large congregation by this time. They may have attracted a group of people who were interested by the speculations and interested by the myths and the entertainment, if you like, of all these these stories. And so people had come into the church and they were sitting there and they were listening. Perhaps they were enthralled by some of these strange ideas, this new teaching. And some people might have said, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? These The, the, the church is full. People are here. Is that not what the main message, the main issue is here. Isn't it to fill the church? Isn't that our purpose? Aren't we here just to bring people into church and to, and to fill the church up and to keep them entertained and to make them happy? Isn't that what we're meant to do? Make them feel comfortable? Make them feel good about themselves? Because that's what these false teachers were doing. And they got a congregation of people, they got a gathering of people, they got a, a following of people who were interested with that. But Paul says here in this first epistle to Timothy, he says that this teaching was meaningless. These teachings, this talk was meaningless. It had no real value whatsoever. And these people were coming to church and they were sitting in church and Paul says that the, the teaching that they were receiving, were receiving had no value at all. It was absolutely valueless. Yes, the, 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 the church might be full. Yes, there may be people in, in church and filling the church and people from the outside may have said, look, isn't it wonderful? See how big this church is. See how entertained the people are. Paul said it's of no value. It's of no value. It's meaningless talk. Paul warns Timothy in the second uh, epistle but before Paul dies and he's uh, writing to Timothy for the, for, the, for the last time but in that second epistle to Timothy towards the end he says to Timothy preach the word Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Itching ears. Entertainment. Something different. That's what they were getting in Ephesus. And Timothy had to do something about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says to the Corinthians, he said, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquent or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, they got bored with the gospel. They thought, oh, the gospel, it's just a, that simple message. And again, we talked about this the other day, didn't we? How people get bored with the gospel because they don't realize the value of the gospel. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing amongst you 
but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, that's the centre of my message and always will be. And that's the centre of the message that this church will proclaim and always will proclaim God willing. The message at the centre is Christ crucified, the Christ who came into this world to die for the sins of the world. And all that that means and all that that, all that evolves from that for you and I, all that means to us as Christians born again and living for Christ in this world. Now Paul reminds Timothy that uh, the message he had the message Timothy had was far superior to that of the false teachers. In verse 15 we read here in this uh, first chapter, Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, says Paul. It was a trustworthy saying. Now this this term, a trustworthy saying, it's unique to the pastoral epistles. You don't find it anywhere else. But when Paul writes to Timothy and when Paul writes to Titus, he uses this term again and again. This is a trustworthy saying. This is a message worth, worth preaching. You can depend upon this message. In 1 Timothy in chapter 3, we find here, he says again, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a trustworthy saying, Timothy. You can depend upon it. You can preach it faithfully and truthfully because it's a trustworthy saying. Again, in chapter 4 and verse 7, again, he says to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Uh, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. It's trustworthy. You can depend upon it. You can stake your life upon it. It's trustworthy. You can stake your eternity on it. It's so trustworthy. This gospel says Paul, and he says this, and he reminds these young pastors that what they're preaching is worth it. What they're preaching is life transforming. What they're preaching is different from the myths and the genealogies and the, and the woke teaching that we find in, in churches today. It's a trustworthy saying. 2 Timothy chapter 2 11, he says it again. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. It's a trustworthy saying. And finally, he writes to Titus in chapter 3 of Titus, the letter he writes to young, the, the pastor Titus there. He says, so that having been justified by grace, he goes on, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life, talking to Titus. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent excellent and profitable for everyone. It was different from the woke teaching of the of those false teachers. It was a trustworthy saying. These pastors had something very special to proclaim. And if you're a preacher, 
uh, or if you're thinking of being a preacher uh, under God's guidance, then you have something very, very special to proclaim. Because these words that we proclaim from this pulpit and these words that we proclaim from this word, from this Bible, it, they are trustworthy sayings. You see, this was no uncertain message. This gospel is sure. This gospel is certain. This gospel is life transforming. Christ Jesus came from heaven. He came into the world with the specific per purpose of saving mankind, of saving you, if you're not already saved, saving mankind. Your myths and your speculations, your loud repetitive songs, your entertainment won't get you to heaven. But Jesus Christ certainly will. Jesus certainly came. He certainly died. He certainly rose from the dead. And he will certainly come back again. It's a trustworthy saying. Now young pastor Timothy may have felt pretty ill-equipped to, to manage the challenges that faced him. As I say, some of these men who were uh, entertaining with these myths and genealogies, they would have had a following. They would have had a, a certain number of people who liked them and liked what they, they did. They, they were established, if you like, in the church. And Timothy had a job in how he was going to deal with them, how he was going to get rid of them. He may well have felt that uh, it, was a, it was a challenge to him uh, to manage to assert his authority. And remember that he's, he's a young man. He's between 30 and 35 years old probably. He's a young man. How can he assert his authority over these established leaders who are probably older than him? But in verse 12 and through to 14, and we looked at this last time, Paul reminds Timothy. He reminds Timothy that Paul himself was no, was no superman with an unblemished blemished record, but rather he was weak in his body and he was the worst of sinners. He says, Timothy, it's not the natural abilities that will um, deal with this situation. It's under God that you will be able to deal with this situation. Paul says it was God's grace and it was God's strength that made Paul strong. And he received a, a clear mandate and, and, a, and a privilege directly from God. And that was what made Paul, Paul. That was what gave Paul the strength and the ability and the power to change situations. It wasn't his natural ability. It wasn't his past. It wasn't the fact that he was a good man. It wasn't the fact that he had an unblemished record. It was the fact that he put his trust in God and through God's strength and by God's grace and through God's calling, he was able to be and he was able to do what God wanted him to do. So Paul has reminded Timothy of his Paul's own testimony to encourage Timothy, but now Paul reminds Timothy of Timothy's own testimony. If you look at verse 18, we read here in this first chapter, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. 
holding on to faith and a good conscience. Paul is reminding Timothy again and again and again. He's reminding him of who he is. He's reminding him of what God has done for him. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, he says there, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as uh, night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's reminding Timothy again and again of Timothy's testimony. Of what God has done and what God is doing in his life. Now I said last time, you remember that when we come to testimonies, we don't want to go over all our own old sins and sort of drag them up because they're in the, uh, in God's forgetfulness. They're under the blood of Jesus. We don't want to remember those things. Satan might try to cause you to remember them, but God doesn't want you to because he can't remember them. So why should you? But there are good things. There are good things that God wants us to remember about our testimonies and good things that we need to remind ourselves about our testimonies. And there are two things specifically that Timothy was reminded in his testimony. And the first was, and it sounds very simple, it was a reminder that Timothy was a Christian. It was a reminder that Timothy was a Christian. And perhaps that sounds a little bit simplistic to you this morning. Well, surely he knew that already. But Paul reminds him that he's a Christian. And one of the great tragedies in our pulpits today, and has been the tragedy down through the centuries in the churches, that there have been people standing in pulpits and preaching who are not Christians at all. They've never been born again. They've never accepted Christ as Savior. They do not believe in heaven. They do not believe in the resurrection. They do not believe. Some of them openly admit that they're atheists. They don't believe in God at all. Others of them are agnostics and they've got all sorts of ideas and think, well, perhaps God exists, perhaps he doesn't exist, etc., etc. But they're not Christians. They can't go back. They can't say there was a day, there was a time, there was a moment in my life where I looked at the Bible, where I heard the word of God and I, I realized I was a sinner. I, and I, and I, was, I, I was frightened by that and I realized that I was going to a, a lost eternity and I, and I fell on my knees, so to speak, and I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and life as Savior. I was born again of the Spirit of God and I've, been, I, I, and I've owned him as Lord and I'm following him. They don't have that. They don't have that. They can't say that. They can't go back. No one can remind them of it because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I wonder if you have a testimony today. I wonder if God reminds you of that testimony. You might say, well, I, I don't have one. 
That there's never been a moment when I've really accepted Christ as my Saviour. There's never been a time when I realised that I was a sinner in need of a Saviour. I always thought I was good enough. I always thought that I was going to get to heaven by my good works. All right, I'm not sure about God at all, but you don't have a testimony. You might have a distinguished record in church. There are many people who have. They've been going to church ever since they were kids and they're, 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 they're in church all through their life. And they're doing all sorts of good deeds in church and they're, they're getting involved in the Tom Bowler and they're getting involved in the bingo night and they're getting involved in, the, in all the other events in the church calendar. And they're, they're in the choir and, and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing good works and they're you know, perhaps helping with the food bank and they're doing all sorts of things and, uh, and, and they're a legend in their church. Oh, Mrs. So-and-so. She does oh, so much work in the church. Look at her embroidery for this and look at, what, look at all these things that she's done. Mr. So-and-so, he's been, he's been doing the grounds all his life and he's, and he's made things in the church and he's such a, a lovely man. What a, what a wonderful man he is. But where's the testimony? Where's the testimony? When did he go back or when did she go back and say, there was a moment in my life when I accepted Jesus Christ as my saviour. There was a moment in my life when I was born again as the spirit of God and I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus' blood cleansed me from my sins and he's clothed me in his righteousness and I'm going to heaven. Where was the testimony? You can have such a distinguished record in church. You can be a legend in church, but unless you have a testimony, you're going nowhere. You're certainly not going up. There are people like these false teachers, many of them, who didn't have a testimony. But the second thing that Paul reminds Timothy, or Timothy reminds himself of as he thinks about his testimony, was that he had a, a clear and a definite calling. Now the Bible is very clear that we are God's workmanship. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, a very well known verse, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handicraft, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so not only as we think about our testimony should we think about being saved but we should also think about what God's called us to he didn't just call us to redundancy he didn't just say well I'm going to save you and uh, just sit in the cup just sit in the pew for the next 40 50 whatever years and then you'll go to heaven one day just take it easy sit back let everybody else do the do the work that's not what the Bible teaches us about being a Christian, it means that we have a we we have a, a work to do. There's something special. The little the, the children sing sometimes that uh, you in your small corner and I in mine. We there's a there's a work for Jesus only you can do, and that's so very true. As we grow as Christians, we begin to understand our special ministries and our special place in God's plan. I wonder if, uh, if you know what your place is in God's plan. I wonder if you've thought about it too much lately, about the fact that your testimony should include that. 
a testimony of I'm saved, but I'm saved to do this. God has given me these talents, I can use them for his glory. There's a wonderful book called What Shall This Man Do? It's written by Watchman Nee. And in that book he, he talks about the disciples and he and he can he, he he traces what they were called to do by the way that God had brought them up, the way that they that their lives had been before and, and after their conversion. And they were able through that to discover the skills that they had were the skills that God wanted to use. Now there are people in this church and they are very skillful in various areas and God is using them in those areas and they are very happy and they're very joyful to be involved in those areas of work. They know not only that they're saved but they know also what God has called them to do and they're contented in that. But you may be a Christian and you're just trying to find your place in God's work. Or perhaps you know what God has called you to do, but you're not doing it right now. And I find this again and again. I find people and they've, they, 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 they've been called to do something. And when they look back upon their testimony, they remember a time not only when they were saved, but they remember a time when God said to them, I want you to do this. This is what I'm calling you to do. And sometimes people begin in that and they be, begin it for a short time and then they stop doing it and they try to forget about it because it was a, it was a tough job and they didn't want to do it anymore. Sometimes people just ignore the voice of God when God says, this is what I want you to do. And they say, well, I'm not going to do that or I don't want to do that right now. It's not convenient for me to do that right now. But God calls us. And God calls us with a purpose. And God calls us to a ministry. Do you have a clear ministry that God has given you? Do you remember what that ministry is? Does that ministry identify you? Do you consider it to be the most important aspect of your life? The most important thing that drives you beyond everything else. It's the fact that God loves you and has saved you. But also you've got this ministry and it's driving you. I know there are people like that here. I talk to people and I'm so encouraged and so uh, um, so amazed at how driven they are by that calling that they have. Are you like that? Or do you have, remember a ministry that God's called you to and you've never begun it? Or God's called you to a ministry and you began it but you've never gone on with it because it was too difficult. It's not something that possesses you. It's not something that's the most important thing in your life. Did Timothy dream of being a preacher? Was he inspired by Paul's life and work? Was he mesmerized by the oratory of the likes of Apollos, that great preacher, well known for his preaching in the early church? Did Timothy long for his own church, his own congregation? Well, these are noble dreams. These, these are noble dreams often inspired by God. But Paul reminds Timothy that with the privileges come responsibilities, obligations, expectations when you have a ministry God expects you to fulfill it and it's not always easy to do that 
Paul continues 2 Timothy 1 7. He says, For the Spirit gave, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God he has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but has now been revealed through the appearing of our saviour Jesus Christ. Timothy, there's a cost, says Paul. There's a cost. Yes, it's lovely to have a ministry. It's lovely to say, God has called me to, to do this. God has called me to do that. It's lovely if you've got a title. Some people like titles. You know, oh, God has called me to do this. It's, it's lovely, but what about the cost? What about the cost? What about if you're a, a worship leader or if you're involved in the music ministry and are you prepared for the cost? What about if you're called to ministry, called to preaching and teaching if you're a guy? What about that? What about the cost? Are you prepared for that? You see, there's a cost in all these things. It's not just about the good side. It's about the, the difficulties that come sometimes with those responsibilities. My Bible college principal, Wesley Gilpin, a great man of God, he would often quote the words to us students, perhaps towards the end of term, but often mid-term as well. And this was one of his favourite sayings. It was this, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me run away? And it's uh, taken from Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 11, where Israel's enemies were trying to stop the work of the building of the walls of Jerusalem. Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab were trying to intimidate Nehemiah. They were planning to harm him. They were trying to discourage him. They were trying to make him stop the work. And Pastor Gilpin, with all his years of experience, knew the pressures of pastoral ministry and other ministries as well. He had seen and he had heard of many students passing through the Bible college and out the other side who had began so well, but gradually as time went on, something stopped them. Something made them stop in their tracks. Their cost was too great and they just stopped and they disappeared from leadership. Perhaps they went and sat at the back of a big church for the rest of their lives with a ministry that they never fulfilled. And we see that time and time again. I am saddened when I see young people and older people with great ministries and all they're doing is sitting in big churches and thinking, well, I'm in church. But those great ministries that God has given them, they're just dormant. They're just doing nothing. They're just sitting back and doing nothing and God has called them to a precious ministry. How sad that is. Some people, Pastor Gilpin knew, would disappear uh, in terms of Christian life. They would not be involved in Christian life at all. They would not go to church at all. They just gave up. Gave up. Paul, Pastor Gilpin said, Should such a man as I 
give up. Should such a man as I run away? He said, look at the importance of ministry. You young students who are here, look at what God has called you to do. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't run away. Keep going. Go through the difficult times. Work through those difficult times. And I say this to everybody here. You can go and sit in the back of a big church and you can think, well, I'm in church and this is all very wonderful. You can put your hands up in, in, in praise and adoration and that in itself is good. But if you're not fulfilling your ministry, if you step back, if you run away, God doesn't want you to do that. Why should Timothy give up? Why should you and I give up? Why should any of us give up? Why should we be intimidated by an enemy? Why should we be, uh, develop an apathetic attitude that seems to permeate through churches and society today? We are called to a great work. And we each have a specific place and a privileged ministry. Why would we miss out on that calling and settle for something that is mediocre and unproductive? Each of us here have a ministry. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the, the worship leaders. It's not just the overseers in, in the church here. We each have a ministry. Now Paul instructs in times going, Paul instructs with the Greek term paragelion which is means to command it's a, a military term he commands he instructs timothy in keeping with the prophets prophecies previously made about him he says 1 timothy four fourteen. he says do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you now this was a very clear calling to timothy it was not based upon ambition. It was not based upon necessity. But it was witnessed and confirmed by God and the church congregation. And again, I say that this is an important thing. Because sometimes we think we're called to do something and we're not. Sometimes we have a genuine desire and an honest desire to do something and we're not. Some people think they're called to be preachers. And they're not. And it's a noble task. They, want, they, 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 they like the idea of it. And, they, and it's a noble idea in a sense. But when they get up in the pulpit and when they... And who's called them to do that? Who told them they were called to be a, a pastor? You see, you have to have confirmation from others. The church confirms our ministries. Not ourselves. We might think, well, I'd love to do that. Good, good. I'm glad if you want to, to do that. But if you want to do it, the church needs to confirm that you're right for that job. So don't get sidetracked into that. But Paul, but Timothy understood, and he, as he looked back on his testimony, he understood that not only did he want to do this, but there was a very definite calling to do it. And there was a very definite witness to the fact that he was called to do that. And that is an important point as well. Now finally, finally Paul reminds us here, and it's a very sad verse towards the end of the chapter uh, these verses the end of the chapter Paul reminds Timothy of the sad cost of failure to heed these warnings and to follow these clear principles within the word of God he says that some had made shipwreck of their faith these were leaders these were leaders and what's more they were Christians 
They were Christians, it seems. And some had made shipwreck of their faith. There were two false teachers mentioned here, Hymenius and Alexander. And Paul says that he has delivered them out of the church. He's put them out of the church. He's delivered them to Satan in order that they might learn not to blaspheme. Now, that sounds very sad and that sounds very um, very hard at first. You know, the whole idea of putting someone out of the church. You know, I mean, pastors don't do that very often these days. And I, I understand why. I, I mean, we have to do it sometimes and we, we have done it on certain occasions. But the idea of putting someone out of the church is, is very sad. But the reason for doing that was in order that Hymenius and Alexander might understand what was tolerated by God and what wasn't. If they'd have continued in the church, they could have thought, well, you know, we're in church, we feel comfy, you know, people around us, it's, we're in, in church, we're going to be okay at the end of the day. But Paul says, you're not going to be okay. You're not going to be okay. So he puts them out of the church in order that they might realise that that's not tolerated in church and in order they may change their ways and return. That was the whole idea. And when he says he hands them over to Satan, he means he hands them back into the world because Christians in the world don't have a good time. You may think you are if you disappear for a while. You may think you're having a good time, but, but sooner or later it suddenly clicks, I'm having a terrible time here. I should be back in church. You know, or else you're so stubborn that you never get back into church. But you see, that's the purpose. It's putting people out of the church. Why? Because you hate them? No, it's because you love them. You know, we, we, we have churches in our land today, and they're full of people who should be put out of the church. They're living perverted lives, they're living immoral lives, they're living lives that are they're not acceptable in God's sight, and the pastors and the teachers, they don't have the gumption to put them out of the church. Pastors are called to do that. They're called to put people out of the church if they're, if, they're, if they're not behaving in the way that they should. Why? Because they need to come to their senses. And as they return, they understand and they become the people that God wants them to be. And they become happy. There are people who are sitting in churches and they'll go to hell. Why? Because the pastors won't put them out of the church and say, until you repent and until you uh, r uh, repent of your evil and your perversion, and until you accept Christ Jesus, you're going nowhere. But they won't do it. That's not love. That's not love. Paul loved Hymenius and Alexander. He put them out of the church so they'd have a rough time and eventually they'd come back. And that's what the whole purpose of putting somebody out of the church. When you and I say to someone, this, your behavior is not acceptable. They may say, oh, aren't you unkind? You know, the people down the road, they will accept me. Don't accept them. There was a, a big thing on just recently on YouTube about going to a, a certain type of wedding. And the advice was, oh, you can go to that wedding. And you can, you can join in and you can, you can celebrate. You, you can show them God's love. No, you don't. That, that's not a, a, a wedding God would bless. Therefore, you don't go and you don't support it and you don't tolerate it. And you don't give the wrong message. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1. Paul says this in, this in closing. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. 
Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have been put uh, and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one with who is present with you in this way. I have already, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, uh, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. In other words, put him out of the church. Put him out of the church. Paul said, I don't have to be there. I don't have to know the details. I don't have to, to hear the, the whimsical uh, excuses for his behavior. Put him out of the church. There isn't any excuse for that. Until he learns. Until he comes back. And so on the one hand, we see this beautiful picture of a Christian life, Christian ministry. Uh, God wanting us to, to, uh, to do what he has called us to do. Uh, a life fulfilled by um, um, not only being a Christian and being in church and being surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters, but also knowing our place, knowing our purpose, knowing the, the part that we have to play. That, that, that's, the, that's the positive side. But then you've got this other side. You've got this terrible side of, of people who claim to be Christians and, and, and they're sitting in churches and, and they're, they're immoral and they're perverted and, and, and either they're being tolerated there in the church as if it was okay or if the pastors have got gumption they put them out of the church so that they would learn but how sad it is when you're down that road how sad it is when you don't listen to the word of God how sad it was for Hymenius and Alexander they were, their names were forever mentioned as those who had let God down they were forever mentioned as those who had been put out of the church don't be like that don't be like that. Don't get to a point in your life where you, you, you you're you out, either you've been put out in very, very rarely anyway. But don't get to the point where you put yourself out of the church. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop going because the, the messages are, are too challenging for me. I don't like to hear what the preacher's saying because it, it touches my heart and I, I know what I should be doing and I'm not doing it and so you decide to to leave when you decide to go out there and not go to church on a Sunday and gradually gradually you become into the same situation as Aminius and Alexander you're in the world and it's dragging you down and you're getting more and more unhappy and more and more unhappy and you're surrounded by people who are not Christians and either you return in a dreadful state one day or you you don't return at all you just live out your life in, in the shallows and the miseries, so to speak. A Christian who never, never achieved what God wanted you to achieve. Never knew the joys and the privileges and the excitement that God wants you to have. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for Timothy, that young man who was called to pastor the Ephesian church and despite all the difficulties that he had, despite his young age, despite all the things he wanted to do, he made a priority of serving you. He knew who he was, Lord. He knew he was a Christian. He knew he had a ministry. He knew he was a pastor and he knew what he was called to do. And happy was the man when he fulfilled that ministry. 
We think of Hymenius, we think of Alexander, two men who could have been like Timothy. They could have listened to the word of God. They could have been perhaps great preachers in, in the church. They could have turned their ways, but instead of that, they had to be put out of the church. They had to experience, even if it was for a short time, a very difficult time, a very lonely time, a very empty time, where they wasted time, wasted years, perhaps, because they would not repent. Lord, may none of us be like those two. May all of us have a heart like Timothy. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.